Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Hey, this is Tyler. And this is KC. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? It's beginning to feel a little bit like fall in most parts of the U.S. right now. Winter in some places. It's winter in some places. <laughs> Here it feels like fall at 87 degrees That's or whatever right. it is. You know, it's like it's a nice balmy fall day. <laughs> oh gosh, dude, it has been some kind of humid lately. Um, mm-hmm. You know, apparently it rained a lot while I was in Nebraska. It did. So it's uh, it's still in the ground, but it's coming out as mm-hmm. the sun heats it up. Yeah. It's coming out of the ground. It's like a back to Eden type thing we got going on here where <laughs> the mist comes up from the ground and waters the plants, you know? That's what we got yep. going on in East Texas. Yeah, that's just... uh, that's fun, man. That's I'm ready for like one of those days where it actually, it's not, you know, 87 and, and still muggy. Mm-hmm. It's like 87 and like you're like, ooh, crispy. You know? mm, like, nice. Mm, yeah, mm. I've got uh, some chapstick here laying out, getting packed up for the elk hunt. Yep. You don't really have to use chapstick in Texas until nope. maybe like one January day. Dude, That's it's it. the issue with living here where we live is like you go other places to hunt and you're like, you smile and your lips break in half. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what we is We are not conditioned on? to that no. at all. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's bad news. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, dude, I've, I'm uh, I'm definitely ready for it. I, I'm appreciative of this like war- uh, cooler weather, but, uh, you know, I think uh, where we're heading in the next, mm-hmm. you know, few days is going to be a much different story. And yeah, so I'm a little buddy. bit worried. <laughs> a little bit worried. <laughs> Dude, uh, Mike Hunsucker has been posting stories and stuff, you know. there's It looks so cold in Colorado. Dude, right it's like 20 <laughs> degrees. I know. Snow, snow coming down. Mm. That's good. Okay. couple things, though, for us. That means that water is not going to be an issue. We're going to mm-hmm. be able to find water everywhere we go, um, which might deconcentrate the elk which I, I don't think it's been super dry so it's not that big of a deal um but two 
it's going to possibly push elk down out of the high country. And then three, it's going to make, you know, sign pretty readily available if there's still snow on the ground in some places. Mm -hmm. You know, like um, if there's tracks in that snow, we know those elk have been in there within the past week. Yeah. And if there's tracks that are, uh, that were produced in muddy, yeah. areas you mm-hmm. know that that's because the snow melted or whatever yeah. and it's been in the past few days so. so i think it sets up good for us because um it seems like to me everybody loves cold fronts weather fronts all that kind of stuff for um hunting but really the back side of it's where it's at mm-hmm. you know like when the snow's coming down, think about iowa last year mm-hmm. when the snow was coming down the first day we didn't have a great hunt Mm-mm. but the next day Rage. Rage. Yeah, it was going down. So I think that uh, that sits up well for us. And speaking of that, guys, we are leaving Sunday to go on a Colorado elk hunt. So keep us in your prayers and be patient with us. If you um, send us a message or something in that time, uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we can. And also, if you make any purchases of our brand new Let's Go Scouting t-shirts. <laughs> I'm wearing it. I'm yeah, wearing it. Todd's repping right now. Yep. But um, I, I don't know if I can wear a shirt that has my own face on it. I'm just very... <sighs> People probably can't if you wear it in in uh, comedy, you know, yeah, then it's good. But if you true. wear it in um, seriousness, <laughs> seriousness, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> so. uh, but anyways, those new shirts are out. If y'all uh, like them, go make a purchase and support us. We really yeah. appreciate that. But like we said, we'll be out of pocket for about a week or a little more, so uh, we'll get all that stuff taken care of when we get back. But speaking of getting back, you just got back from Brasker. Brasker, yeah, and so people don't know like the uh the rest of the story i guess paul harvey <laughs> the rest of the story my uh my voice is probably sounding a little bit like paul this morning <laughs> i uh i was at the volleyball game last night and so i was yelling, yelling. so yeah I'm, I'm trying to be uh supportive it's good they uh we have the quietest fan base on earth mm-hmm. so um i want to be uh, an example that you good. can yell and People won't judge you, yeah. and even if they do, it doesn't matter. So, um, see, you know. I never, I never really thought that range was that quiet. I just always felt like people yelled the wrong things. You ever been I, to a volleyball game? I have, <laughs> but it, it's, they're never like encourage the girls. They always just rag on the refs. Oh, you know what else they do is they uh, when you say they never encourage the girls, the only time they ever say anything to the girls is when it's like. We're ten and zero, mm-hmm. and we've been dominating every game. And then all of a sudden, we play a little bit of competition. It's yeah. like a close game. It's like, Come on now, yeah, exactly. And I'm like, that doesn't help now. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Don't do that. That's why I like football, man. When I, you know, when we played ball, you really couldn't hear the stands. I never have heard anybody. No, except my mom for, was always like, I yelled for you the whole time. I, was like, I don't know. Yeah, never heard it's you. It's qu- dead quiet out there. Yeah, Sorry, you it's know? like focus. You yeah. know, and I'm sure the girls are that way for the most part too. But mm-hmm. I try to be very loud. Um, because I don't know, man, like they, they're so good and I just want to make sure that they, uh, you know, have a little bit of hype, Yeah, you know, like hype's a big deal, man. Oh yeah. So. And it helps in those, uh, stadium sports or whatever. What do you call that? Gym sports? Gym sports. Yeah. Sure. You know, like basketball. Indoor. Yeah. Indoor stuff. You can, there's like that, uh, yeah. that energy. Echo yeah. and everything else. Yeah. The energy is like right there. It's mm-hmm. close. So I don't know. Trying to, trying to hopefully inspire others to do the same, but like, Either either way, I'm trying to be loud and like mm-hmm. I I don't know, man. I played in some stadiums that had some pretty rowdy fans. Texas Tech being one of them. Yeah, 
And I know a bunch of dudes are raising their pistols up right now, you know. But like, <laughs> that was not a fun atmosphere, man, you know. If they you are nets. raising your pistols up, this new shirt's red and black. Oh, so, I yeah. mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, and speaking of hype, like, yeah. this is the ultimate hype that moment, is hype. right? That here. is hype <laughs> like, right there. <laughs> it captures the hype moment. So, uh, but yeah, anyway, I was, uh, uh, excuse the voice, but I did uh, have a couple extra days there in Nebraska after we talked about the last encounter. And to be uh, succinct and short and sweet here, it really uh, not a whole lot happened outside of me being on a consistent uh, and constant map scout challenge. Yeah. Real world map <laughs> scout challenge. <laughs> so I pretty much, uh, Jack and I, um, we didn't see that buck the next morning. We actually didn't see a deer the next morning, period, on that property. And so it was like, you know, we, we were like, well, I guess we blew it out. There's a chance I stay there and I see that buck and I get a chance to go back in on him and kill him. But, um, just, it's one of those things like Mexican food. You go to a Mexican food place, there's 99 items. They all have beef, tortillas (laughs) and hot sauce and cheese. You know what I mean? It's like really the variations are just a little bit different. And that's kind of like, says about Taco Bell, he says, just order soft or crunchy. That's the only difference. It all tastes <laughs> yeah, the same. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's for real. Like, you know, and we've been, when I toured, you know, we'd go to Mexican food a lot. And, dude, literally there was like 100 menu items. And I'm like, well, what's the difference here? Yeah. We'd be sitting around for like 20 minutes waiting on somebody to make a decision. And I'm like, do you understand what's going on here? So, anyway, my point is, the analogy is that Nebraska, you have the whole state to go to. So, it's like. You know, do you focus on something or do you go somewhere else, you know? Mm-hmm. So we went somewhere else. Um, I knew where I hunted last year. I've talked about it before. We ended up there. It was like, and this is the, the what would you call this? Like the last ditch effort, right? Like the yeah. home stretch, like going all last in. Evening. Going all in on, on yeah. a hunt. We thought last evening, let's go to a place where we know there's a lot of deer. And we walked a mile in and I had been looking on the maps and it's super dry out there. Mm-hmm. And we were, I mean, most, most ponds, most tanks didn't have water in them. And so, um, I actually talked about that, uh, with Spencer yesterday, um, uh, on the rut fresh stuff. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, most of these ponds were dried up. I, I mean, honestly, like, I think I saw like two or three ponds the whole time that weren't dried. And so my point is I looked in the maps and I see this real clear one and I'm like, Ooh, I bet that's spring fed. It's about a mile in. I know this place holds a lot of deer. This is going to be good. We're going to kill a deer. So we walk in. It's hot, man. It's like 93 or something like that. We walk a mile in, which, you know, young Jack is not used to this, so I have to (laughs) kind of ease him into this stuff. Uh, But he kept up, you know, he was able to uh, ride on my back for a few few miles. Cowboy boots on? Yeah. Um, So anyway, we get to the pond. It's got water in it. It's clear. There's tons of tracks around it. And so kind of do a quick scout around the pond without making a bunch of noise we, we spooked uh like two two does right off the edge of the pond when we got there and then there was like three on the other side of the tank like 100 yards that never saw us and they the whole afternoon they were like walking back and forth and running back and forth i don't know what they were doing chasing mm-hmm. each other getting rid of rid of flies or something yeah. but um anyway we we ended up picking a spot and i was like i hope this is the spot you know it ended up being the spot because this this tank was pretty big, mm-hmm. and um, we end up sitting there all afternoon. We sit on the ground because there's not really any. There's one tree that's decent, but it's a it's kind of an old and short cottonwood, and the limbs like come down super low. So yeah. 
I mean, stunted growth kind of. Yeah. yeah. And so like shooting without having to cut a bunch of limbs and stuff was going to be pretty much impossible. So mm-hmm. we, we sat on the ground in this brush stuff and it was actually a pretty good setup. Um, the hardest part was as a right hander getting a shot at yeah. where they were coming at or coming out. But we had, we probably saw 15 to 20 deer total, maybe 15. And I bet, you know, I don't know, I may be wrong, but like, I bet 70% of them came within 25 yards of us. Did they all come to drink? They didn't all come to drink because there was a few, what would happen is we were really cutting it close with our wind. And Mm -hmm. so my idea was like, if it's a buck, I'm just going to hope he gets there, you know, and shoot him before he gets to my wind. But where we ended up having to blow our wind, they would come in and they would get to 25 yards or 20-ish yards, and then they would catch our wind. And, like, the younger deer would just kind of mill around. And, like, a young, we had a young doe, and she ended up coming in and drinking despite the wind, you know. But, like, an older doe with two fawns, she, she didn't like it. She stood there for a couple minutes, and then she blew out, mm-hmm. you know, and everything. So that's kind of what happened. Uh, but like we had one, we had one buck come in and it was a, it looked just like Anthony's deer from last year. Mm. If you haven't seen that video, go check it out. It was a fun little video, uh, from Nebraska last year. It's in the season playlist. Um, but yeah, so that, that was the only buck we saw. He ended up at 20 yards and, um, you know, could have smoked him, but I just decided I didn't want to, didn't want to really, you know, it was hot dude. And we're a mile back. Yeah. I just didn't want to deal with bugs and cleaning a deer and all this stuff, have to go a mile back to get the cart, drive or walk a mile in with the cart, take this deer out. Pretty Do you have to take country. him out whole in Nebraska? You know, um, that's a good question, but uh, we were going to take him out whole. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we, brought, we brought the pack, and in case of a certain situation, I was going to actually look up that rule to make sure, but um, if it was worked out better for us to just pack them out, mm-hmm. then – you know, I was going to do that if, if it was legal. So, but that's a pretty cool rule that some states have where you can't quarter up your deer. Yeah. Really guys. Man. Well, I guess it, it was just, it's worth the off chance. Well, let me start a different way. We're going to South Dakota mm-hmm. uh, pretty much as soon as we get back from Colorado. Yep. Um, and if we tag out in a couple days, it's worth you hanging on to your tag to go maybe a stop for a day, day yeah, and a half. Yeah, we talked about that, yep. And, I mean, there's a chance that that buck is still in that hole where we had him at 12 yards, you know, mm-hmm. so. There's also a chance that uh, <clears throat> we're traveling through other parts of the state on the way to South Dakota, and we're like, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, let's stop for a second. Or we're like, oh, there's one right there. Yeah, it's exactly. Can we make a stop? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so anyway, the, the hunt was a very tough hunt. Um, the corn was um, – pretty much holding and hiding the deer the whole mm-hmm. trip, I feel like. And so hopefully it'll be out by the time, you know, we're coming back from South Dakota um, or some of it, and we'll get a chance to see a little more country and see more deer. You so. know, uh, that corn thing was kind of perplexing to me. We talked a lot about this in the last podcast, but I didn't really think deep into the fact that it's been it was so dry in Nebraska, and that might be like the only – good source of moisture you know they yeah. can eat corn and not really have to drink that much yeah and maybe that's why they were so hard in the cornfields yeah. during the day well and also um with there being so much shade in there and pivots on those corn mm-hmm. on that corn those cornfields like they're getting water from those pivots, yeah. you know that's holding in some of those low spots in those 
cornfields from those pivots. So mm-hmm. I think is I mean, I think they had everything they needed there, man, except for just wind, you know, mm-hmm. if they needed to get away from bugs or something. But in like a monoculture culture like that, like I wonder how many bugs are actually in the corn anyway, you know? I mean, I would think that that possibly that monoculture only is a good habitat for certain types of bugs mm-hmm. or something, you know, I don't know, but just thinking about it, you know, um, it definitely, definitely held the deer. So yeah. anyway, um, you know, that video, there's actually, I'm going to have two videos from that series. Um, the one with the big buck and then just kind of the rest of the trip and some cool footage of just, you know, deer and strategy and stuff like that. So that one will be much shorter, but, um, hopefully, I'm thinking we haven't really talked about this, but probably while we're on the elk trip, that first Nebraska video will come out. So definitely go check that out um, and subscribe if you haven't. Um, also subscribe to the podcast hey, you know, hey. uh, if you haven't. If you're listening for the first time and you like Bill Winky, uh, we have Bill on about quarterly so yeah. <laughs> we like that guy he's too. hard to beat man yeah he's a very knowledgeable dude very humble and so uh with that i guess we will just uh go straight into this conversation and hear some good tactic from our friend bill all right now on the phone is bill winky with midwest whitetail bill have you been doing any fishing this summer <laughs> well the summer's been really busy uh, our, our son uh, bought a house up in the college town where he's at. So I've been helping him with some renovations on it and we've been moving and gosh, it's been uh, one of those years. Then you throw, I mean, we were really planning on going up into Canada and uh, with the coronavirus, they still haven't opened up that border. So we didn't make that trip. Uh, so it's just been a kind of an off year, you know, a lot of b- busy work and then some disappointments, you know, with that stupid virus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, unfortunately. How about you? Um, very little, really. Um, KC, same same boat. Um, I haven't even left the state. So we had a, a son in March, and uh, which is a great blessing, of course, but um, really limits your travel. <laughs> so for at least yeah. uh, the year 2020, we're going to stick around close to home, and which probably isn't a bad thing to do anyways. Yeah. I, I went to New Mexico uh, during June, and – um, just fishing the, the streams there, which like finding a big stream in New Mexico is kind of tough, um, uh, sometimes. So it was mostly just small to medium stuff and we had a good time. I took my son and, uh, taught him how to kind of circle cast a fly rod. And, um, he caught, I think he caught like three Browns or something like that. Kind of small ones, you know, mm-hmm. but that was, it was a good time. Um, outside of that, man, it's been, uh, pretty much just busy, busy, busy for us. Um, we we kind of undertook a big whitetail map scouting project this year, and uh, this summer has been pretty much just editing for me. Is all it's been. <laughs> so um, okay. I'm sure you know how fun that is. Um, yeah, yeah, it can be pretty tedious. Yes, yes, and it has been. So um, <laughs> anyway, you have uh, some big news that was kind of shocking to me that I found out in email. Um, I guess you're okay with us talking about the farm a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yep. Go ahead. It's not a secret. Okay. Um, so you have sold the farm. I would have never yep. guessed you would have done such a thing. <laughs> Man. <laughs> well, and the, the uh, it is, it is, and, and uh, you know, was of course a really good farm. I put it together piece by piece with eight different transactions. So it started out pretty small, and then my neighbors would come to me, or I'd bump into them, and 
you know, I bought, you know, several of my neighbor's properties and put it together over time. So I had a lot of, you know, personal attachment to it, as you might expect. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, my parents are getting older. They're getting up in that age where, you know, they need a lot more, I won't say attention, but, you know, I, I see that as, as, you know, they're not going to be around forever. So I don't want to be as far away from them as I have been as far away from my family. And, uh, you know, where we were at there, we didn't have family close and our, both of our kids graduated from high school and were more or less on their own. And like I said, you know, our son even has his own place now. So, uh, it was just, it made sense timing wise to move closer to my parents. Um, that's, that's the basic reason for it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with where we were at and the farm is good. And, you know, we had a lot of memories there living there for as long as we did, you know, raising our family. Uh, so that was hard. It was hard. It was harder on the home side than it was on the farm side, believe it or not. Um, oh, I you know, cause you'll find that out too. Yeah. You, you have so many memories, you know, this happened here and that happened there, you know, and it's just, that's the hard part. Yeah. But, uh, you know, from the, just being able to replace that farm someplace else has been a challenge. So I'm kind of still looking, you know, mm-hmm. still trying to find that, you know, ideal piece of land back up closer to mom and dad. So I've got a lease there. Uh, I'll be hunting some permission ground and there's a bunch of public land in that area too. So I'm just going to hunt different types of, of properties and uh, you know, keep my eyes open for something that really grabs my attention, you know, from a purchase standpoint. Sure. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I just figured if I'm going to be spending so much time every year in the field, you know, and, and uh, why don't I just, you know, find something closer to them so that, yeah. you know, I can see them more often. Yeah. yeah. Does that mean that in the year 2020, you're going to have one less archery tag than you usually do? Yeah, that's right. Really? Yep. Unless I buy something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's been, that, that was a little bit of an eye opener when I got about halfway through this process. I'm like, gosh, I haven't found anything to buy yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dang, I'm not going to have that. Other- <laughs> <laughs> <be selective. laughs> maybe you'll see me, maybe you'll see me on the trout stream halfway through November when I'm trying to yeah. figure out what to do with my time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Looking for the fall run. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say it's been, it's been a, a hard decision, but, uh, you know, we're coming to, to terms with it. You know, I think the kids found it kind of hard too, you know, especially our son, because, you know, he was, I think a year old, maybe when we moved there Wow. and, uh, you know, all of his friends, all of his memories, everything, you know, revolved around that place. So, you know, when we just say, well, we're going to sell it. He just looked at us with like a blank expression. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You could have told him, Hey man, you can buy it if you want to. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That might be a little while for that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Is he uh, is he a Hawkeye or Cyclone or what's he doing? He's a, he'd be a Cyclone and our daughter's a Hawkeye. Oh, Uh, house divided, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're both good schools. You know I mean? Any, you know, I'm a, I'm a, loyal Iowa person so I don't care what school you go to in Iowa I'm gonna cheer for you yeah that's unless cool. you're playing you know if they're playing each other I think it's a little bit tougher but <laughs> yeah so what are y'all yeah. what are you looking for in a property are you looking for something similar to what you had or, or are you gonna mix it up a little bit no I think what I want there um see I grew up in Almakee County which is the far northeast corner of Iowa mm-hmm. and that's the bluff country you know and I'm four generations deep on both sides of my family up there and, you know, so I know so many people and I've hunted everywhere up there. And, and, uh, even one of my summer jobs for a couple of years was mowing the road shoulders for the County, you know? And so I, I know every corner of the County inside and out, either trout fishing or, or deer hunting, um, 
when we left there and moved to Southern Iowa originally, I had permission on 64 different farms for wow. whitetail hunting. Mm. So, you know, so I knew like every little back corner. So my, my problem now is that I know too much. Um, <laughs> you know, so I, I go up there, you know, and, and you'll see a nice farm for sale and it's like, yeah, it's a pretty nice looking farm, but I know where there's some really, really cool ones, you know? So, you know, you're always sitting there thinking, well, maybe if I wait, you know, I'll, I'll one of these other ones, I can talk somebody into selling. And I came really close on two. Um, I had two of them. I thought you know, that I had in the bag, but you know, the owners, they didn't have to sell, you know, and they, they, they weren't really for sale. And then towards the middle of the discussions, they just said, no, nah, you know, we've talked it over again and we're, we're just, you know, we're too attached, you know, we're not going to sell, but that can change. You know, as soon as people know you're, you're looking, then people will start coming to you and, and, uh, you know, and saying, well, I've got something here that you might be interested in. Um, so I expect, you know, that, that even if I don't push quite as hard, which, you know, I, I probably will continue to, but, I just want something really pretty. I want something in the bluffs that's just, you know, you go there and you feel like, ah, you know, I just have my cabin up here in the hills and I'm I'm going to, I'm just going to sit back and, and just relax and look down the valley and, you know, just more on the pretty side. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of it up there that's like that. That's really bluffy and pretty and, you know, big hardwood timbered ridges and, and trout streams running through it and stuff like that. So, sure. um, I'm kind of holding out for that perfect piece. Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, they're, they're there. I mean, I know which ones they are. I mean, I know all the people who own them and, and you, know, like <laughs> going, you know, I talk to them on the phone. It's like, or, or knock on their door. It's like, Hey, will you sell me this? They're like, it's hard to buy something that's not for sale. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I know which farms I want or which properties I want, you know, or at least, you know, a collection of maybe there's 40 of them up there that I would buy or more, but you know, so far I haven't been able to get any of them to, to actually sell. Yeah. Um, that's, that's kind of where, where I was at. Um, I actually bought my first, uh, I guess you could say rec property. Um, I guess it was May that we closed on it. So hmm, I haven't good. had it that long. Um, it's a m- much smaller, um, you know, 30 acres, but, um, it was, it was one of those deals where like we were fixing to, we were about to, um, build a house. We were like four days from closing on a construction loan to build on, uh, the lot that I had and had, you know, same thing. I'd been putting feelers out and ended up, um, kind of just through the grapevine ended up, uh, you know, this guy didn't want to sell it to me earlier in the year and, or about a year and a half ago. And I found out he was possibly wanting to sell it. And so, you know, it just came about it, but it was, it was kind of, I'm in the same boat. Like I didn't just want to buy anything out there that was, you know, 20, 30 acres, uh, because I grew up around here and I know that, uh, there are areas, um, that are very, I mean, there's very much pockets of decent bucks. Mm -hmm. There's, there's pockets of lots of deer with little, maybe, I don't know how you would say this, but like little smaller genetics, maybe, you know, um, Mm -hmm. overall, or just the, the ability to grow bigger doesn't seem to happen there. And then there's just places that deer just hardly ever live, you know? And so, Right. It's, it's it's a good and bad thing because it makes you, uh, you know, you take your time and you may have to, it's maybe years before you get to do what you want, but you <laughs> yeah. uh, also end up hopefully getting something that'll last you a long time. And you'll be satisfied with. So, yeah, but uh, I think that's it. You know, it's, it's sort of like my situation. If I didn't know as much as I knew and as many people as I knew, I probably would have bought something, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I would have just bought something that was for sale, you know, but 
I knew that like, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I want to be in that neighborhood. I'm not sure about that neighbor. You know, I know that family and there's a little bit of history there, you know, and sort of, <laughs> sort of like, you know what I'm saying? It's kind of, you, you see the warning flags, whereas if you just came in there blind, you'd say, oh, that's a cool piece of land and snap it up. And, yeah. and it wasn't even a matter of price, really. I'm not saying that I, I didn't have an unlimited price. I, I certainly do, but um, I just couldn't get them to sell, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that's the thing. We'll just wait and see. I'll play it out, but... Um, I'll have places to go, but like you said, I'm going to be one tag short unless I, well, I, I shouldn't say that the house that we bought, um, up here North of Iowa city has 13 acres on it. Oh, and I could, yeah, I could get my landowner tag and hunt the 13 acres right below the house here. But, yeah. um, well, that's, uh, that, that's the only thing we own right now. 13 acres in Iowa is probably not a terrible thing. So <laughs> <laughs> that could make for a pretty cool story. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to put the whole 13 acres in the corn if I want to have any success here. I think. <laughs> yeah, um, there you go. That's um, are you, um, let's see, are, are you planning like whenever you're looking for the property, are you looking for that, you know, the beautiful place and ex- expecting that you can grow the type of bucks that you want to shoot there? Or are you looking for, a, you know, certain regions since you know the area so much that you know are going to be, you know, perennially a place where big deer live? It's, it's both really the, uh, and again, that's where I won't say the problem lies, but, um, you know, I know, again, I know all the people mm-hmm. and so I can, I can track down the history of, of, you know, what they're shooting and what their management practices are without even going up and talking to them because I know a person who knows them. I mean, I'm like one, you know, what do they call that? You know, where you're a point of contact or whatever. I'm, I'm one layer away from just about everybody mm-hmm. in that County. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm either related to them, either related to them or related to their neighbor. You know, yeah. so, um, the, uh, so that part of it, uh, I feel like I want to make sure I've got good neighbors first, mm-hmm. but then I want to be in a really pretty spot. that's a little bit remote second. And, uh, it's doable. Like I said, there's, I've targeted, I mean, I spent hundreds of hours, you know, studying, um, the plot books and stuff like that, targeting specific farms saying, okay, I would, this would be a good one. This would be a good one. And I know the guy who owns it. Let me call him. Let me talk to, you know, his neighbor. Let me, you know, put my feelers out. So I did investigate probably as many as 20 of the 40 that I had, that I had identified and just came up, you know, with almost twice, but you're right. That's what I'm looking for is, is the best of both. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't feel like, the public land is so pretty up there too. You know, it's just, it's, it's really pretty. I mean, you're on the Mississippi river bluffs overlooking the river, you know, and I grew up hunting ducks, you know, up in there on the river bottoms and there's big white tails out on the river bottom. You know I mean? It's, there's places where you can go. That's just gorgeous. Get away from people where you don't have to even buy anything. But, um, you know, my choice would be to buy something, but in the meantime, you know, I've got options. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that Bill does a great job of is starting out his season sometime in late July, early August, and figuring out where his target bucks are. And he uses a lot of different habitat features and then also some baiting to set trail camera traps to figure out where these bucks are. Well, if you're on public land, the baiting thing is not an option, but you can still figure out where the places are to target these bucks. And actually, guys, the element... (laughs) Tyler and KC have done a little bit of stuff to maybe help you do that. So we have two different video series that have came out recently. Series. Series. The Map Scout Challenge, which y'all have heard of. And Uh then the new one for us is the Public Land Hotspots, which is, I mean, 
if you wanted to boil it down, the public land hotspots is like a very condensed version of Map Scout Challenge, mm-hmm. right? It's we get on the maps, we get on Onyx maps, we show you the stuff on the phone, how we're like breaking this down mentally and kind of show you the different places that you can find by map scouting yeah. to go and find a target buck. Yeah, and you know, like in Nebraska this past week, Onyx was like a huge part of the game. Um, I mean, I honestly, because of the fact that we couldn't find deer because of the corn and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. like we talked about, I spent six days on Onyx. Mm-hmm. Like it was ridiculous, you know, how much I was thinking, man, my date is almost over and this is like <laughs> September 3rd, you know, for the month. So it was like, you know, it was difficult, but it was like a map scout challenge every day. And I was mm-hmm. trying to put those habitat features together, the things that we talk about, fence crossings, feeder creek crossings, looking at trails in the aerial and that kind of thing and trying to make all this work and make sense on the map. And so what we've tried to do uh, is like we've said, we're not experts, but we try hard to show our experience and the things that we have um uh, learned or the things that we look for at least on on public land when we first start map scouting so check those series out make sure you're subscribed on youtube and let's get back to bill i have i have to reach back and kind of emphasize a point you made earlier um when you were talking about how hard it was to sell the home on the property you know and i i um I had a house and it was this was not a you know this was not this was just a little half acre lot in a house uh but i I uh, brought my, both my babies back home to that house and had it for seven years yep. and sold that a couple of years back. And I like, I'll, I admit mm-hmm. I've walked around in the house and bawled my eyes out. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was a difficult thing to do uh, to leave that house just because all the memories, like you said, yep. and you know, those, you've got memories there. You've got memories uh, all across that place that you had. Um, and a lot yep. of that is going to be, um, in relation to deer as well. And so, you know, one thing we kind of want to talk about today, um, was the annual patterns of deer and just, um, the history that you may have with particular bucks. And I know that's been a big deal for you. Um, and we enjoy watching it, um, on the show as well. Just you being able to say, you know, I think we talked to you last year for one of our big buck breakdowns about, a deer that was kind of a surprise buck, um, but I think you mm-hmm. had seen it the year before in the same area. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had a couple of years of, of history with that deer, uh, but but the year before he'd been uh, he showed up one morning uh, a few hundred yards away from where I ended up killing him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that deer, some deer are, are pretty easy to find anytime you want to find them, and some of them aren't quite as easy and. And it has to do with their ranges and, and, you know, their shifts and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So that he was one that I didn't find back again in, in 2019. Oh yeah. I, I didn't see him in 2019 at all until the day he walked out in front of the blind. So, um, <laughs> how does, that, that how does, was a, how does that date match up with, uh, like when you've seen him before, like, was he in the area in the same date range or how, uh, why did he, why do you think he was there? I don't know. I think, I think he shifted a little bit. Uh, because I could find him anytime I wanted to in, uh, 2018 and in 2017 also, and he had shifted, um, he moved apparently because even with, you know, running corn in front of the camera, you know, in, in September, which is my typical way of trying to find back the bucks after they shift, you know, from their summer to their fall ranges. And I run partway into October and, you know, I avoid all of the, the baiting rules and so forth. I've talked to the local game warden about what I need to do, you know, to, you know, to not violate any baiting rules, but I, I, I'm pretty aggressive on trying to find them. 
And uh, I feel like I can, if they're there, that I'll get pictures of them. And he wasn't there. So my, my assumption is that he moved his core off the farm. And uh, I don't know exactly where, but he fringed. He apparently was fringing back. Um, and, uh, you know, I caught him, you know, I caught him on one of those times when he was just circling back through, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of weird. Yeah, it's, it's every deer is different. You know, we've talked about that, I'm sure, but people want to stereotype these things and say, well, this is what deer do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what they're, you can only generalize and you can say, this is what deer mostly do. But, you know, each deer has their own, their own way. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, you won't call it a personality, you know, but you can call it their behavior or their characteristics are unique. And, uh, I think that's what makes it fascinating is because you go into it and they're not robots. They're not programmable. You know, you, you, you have to take each one as he comes and, uh, try to figure out what's going on with that specific deer. Uh, if we didn't have trail cameras, we wouldn't be able to do it. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, some, some people think that trail cameras are, you know, a crime that we shouldn't have them and it's not fair, but <laughs> To me, what it does is it deepens the, the the satisfaction of the hunt because then you get to do those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, how old you was that deer when he showed back up? Or when I you think shot he him? was only. I think he was only four. I mean, okay. I'd like to think he was five, but I'm afraid that he was only four. Um, it was if he would have been on there religiously and he'd have been on the camera on the farm, and I knew that he was there. I, I think I'd have let him go. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Cause I wasn't going to sell the farm at that point. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. it, that, that, that's a whole different story about how that happened. It wasn't for sale. You know, it wasn't like we were uh-huh. listing the farm or anything like that. It's just a, a realtor brought me a buyer and said, Hey, would you be interested in selling? And I said, well, at some point we're going to, you know, and the best time to sell is when there's somebody that's sitting there with cash, you know, so, <laughs> yes. you know, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't planning on selling it. So it's not like I was trying to clean out, you know, the, the best deer, you know, before I moved on, mm-hmm. uh, I seriously considered letting the deer go, but then it crossed my mind. It's like, dang, this deer is barely on this place. You know, yeah. this is the first time I've gotten any sign of him in almost a year. It would be a, it'd be a mistake, uh, right now to, to let him go. Um, if he was regular, you know, if he'd have been a deer that I felt like was living on the farm, I probably would have let him go. Cause he could have, he had the potential to be a 200 inch typical. Um, oh, my he goodness. Was, yeah, mm. he was gigantic. He was, he was over 180 uh, as a four year old. And that was with, uh, one of his G fours were kind of, was kind of stunted, but he had like <laughs> 10, 11 inch brow tines. Oh. I mean, you, you can, the scores rack up fast when the brow times are 10 or 11 <laughs> yes, inches yes, long. They yes. do. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. a measurement you don't always get, man. Mm-mm. That's awesome. That's right. Dude. So anyway, that's, that's the story on that deer, but he was, he was a surprise. Uh, usually we, we have a pretty good idea what's going on, you know, as far as where certain deer are and where they're probably killable. But, uh, that guy just kind of came out of the blue, which that was a lot of fun. Of course, you know, when, when that happened, uh, Sometimes I think, you know, if you follow them too close, you know, maybe you take a little bit of the, the, the excitement, maybe not the excitement, but the surprise that adrenaline rush, you know, some of that kind of gets, you know, we just spend so much time, you know, on, on one deer that some of that surprise part of it gets lost. And, and, uh, I do think that's fun to capture that once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You, uh, you may get to experience a little less 
of that close following this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There'll be a lot more surprises in the next, in the next bit of hunting I do here. Hey, like, that's, oh, there's deer here. Yeah. That's a good YouTube title optimization though. You know, like you can put surprise buck in every YouTube title this year. Yeah. Every, every single day is going to be another surprise buck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so are you seeing like when you see a deer, uh, shift his home range, um, you know, not necessarily in a seasonal aspect, but like this deer was on you mm-hmm. that you felt like the first couple of years you noticed him and then off of you. Like, is, is there a certain age that a buck tends to do that at that you, that you've seen? Not, not to my knowledge. I, I, I think some of them, um, it, it just sort of, I won't say random, it's random to us, but I don't think, you know, I don't think there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, a definite timetable to that. Uh, I talked with Mark Drury about this one time and Mark's a lot smarter about this maybe than what people think, you know, and, and he's got a good reputation, but Mark might be one of the savviest deer hunters in the whole country mm-hmm. when it comes to just understanding what deer do. And this was way back. I mean, it's probably 10 years ago or more. And he said that they felt like about 30% of their bucks relocated their core you know, from, if you know, from each year. So like, you know, the same one doesn't relocate, you know, over and over and over, but if you take all the bucks across the spectrum on the properties that they were watching, 30% of them would be relocated the next year. Hmm. So it was, that was his, that was his number. And I, I don't know for sure, you know, based on my experience, if, if I agree or disagree with that number, cause I haven't tried to, to add it up, but he actually spent time actually putting numbers to it. And he, he felt like, you know, just under a third of the bucks, would relocate their core you know whether they relocated it off the property or just to a different part of the property um that you know that's that's a different you know question but uh so i think that's you know at least a reasonable starting point to say that that many of them or or you know a decent number of them actually do relocate slightly from year to year and that affects a lot of stuff of course when it comes to hunting them uh, the ones that I like are the ones whose cores stay where they're at and they continue, their ranges continue to shrink as they get older and they become more daylight active within those, within those ranges. Mm-hmm. I mean, we run into those kind of deer once in a while and they're super easy to kill. Uh, and they're usually older deer. Sometimes they can be really, really you know big antler deer too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had deer like that over the years that every year they got easier to kill because they, <laughs> their range yeah, their range shrunk and they, they were more daylight active within that range. So it's, it's like any, any given day you could go find them because you know right where they're going to be and they're going to be walking around during the day. Uh, but that's pretty rare, uh, especially in areas that get very much hunting pressure. You know, the, they just don't really last that long. I'm not saying that, I mean, deer do adapt to pressure, but what I think more than that is the ones who exhibit that type of behavior get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so they don't get a chance to live to be five or six or seven years old and be daylight active. If they're daylight active as a two or three year old, they're, they're going to get, they're going to get killed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, I think there's two sides to that. I think people make them nocturnal, but I think the ones that survive are the ones that are naturally inclined to be nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so so anyway. that book from last year, uh, you know, I know your hypothesis now is, you know, a shifting home range. Um, but in the past, you've talked about just as bucks mature, their 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 home range just kind of shrinks a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that could have been the case too, to where that deer he just his core area wasn't on your property, but for you know the first two or three years of his life, he 
he was running willy nilly all over the place. And then, you know, in year four, he uh, he just kind of shrunk that home range, and you just happened to catch him on your place the one day he made a, a little uh, vector out of, uh, you know, out of his normal area. I think it's possible, but normally what we see is because uh, he if he was four, like I suspect, I mean he could have been five, but he would have had to have been a, a, a an awfully big. Um, no, I, I think he was four. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, I'm, I'm not going to excuse myself on that one. But if he was only four, that's that's usually before that that home range shrinking starts okay. to take place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I usually see that around you know like six. <clears throat> gotcha. Even at five, they tend to keep their ranges pretty good size, and then six, seven, eight, they live that long. You know, six is almost like the magic switch that gets flipped, you know, and from what I've seen. And I asked Mark about it too, you know, and I bounce a lot of ideas off him whenever I see him. But um, it seems like at that age, something happens to them physiologically and they just aren't the same animal anymore. They, they aren't nearly as cautious and their ranges are t- tend to be smaller and they just become a lot easier to kill, you know? So the challenge is, you know, that people look at saying, Oh boy, they, they, these guys must really know something. They're able to kill these great big deer. Well, the reality of it is that those deer get to be that age. Uh, you know, and, and we're hunting places where they deer reach that age mm-hmm. and they don't become harder to, they don't become harder to kill. Like people think they get easier. <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, so people talk about that smart old buck They they might be talking about a four-year-old, you right. know, they're not talking about a six or a seven-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, they're not, they're not smart. They really aren't. You know I mean? It's, I know it sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They stay alive because they're nocturnal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and as soon as they're not nocturnal anymore, they're like, man, this deer is pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm still yeah. waiting on some of those bucks to show up for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, you got to hunt places where they get old. That's yeah. the thing, you know, and people, you know, I don't pick any, you know, or, or pull any bones about that. It's like, you know, I, I think I'm a decent whitetail hunter and make good decisions, you know, typically, but I hunt places where the deer are, you know, where mm-hmm. those bucks exist. That's fun. You know, and, and it's really hard to, yep. That's it. That's what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather, uh, I can promise you, KC can attest to this, um, if it's like 8.30 and we hadn't seen her Lenny deer, like, I'm ready to eat a Pop-Tart and get out of the stand, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I like seeing deer, you know, so yeah. that sounds fun to me. Yeah. Um, so do you have like, a, when you when you have history with a deer and you want to go find that deer back, how, do you have a method to the way you place trail cameras um, in regards to that? Yeah. I, I mean, for me, since again, in Iowa, it's legal to run a camera in front of bait. Um, I tend to fringe what I think are the various core areas on the property. So like, if I look at it and say, here's a block of timber, there's probably, you know, this, there's gotta be some bucks living in there. I don't go in there. You know, I'll find the places on the fringe of that where I could put a camera and, and, you know, a little small pile of corn in front of it and just try to pick off you know, whatever's coming out of there. Uh, so, you know, I break the farm down and in, into a lot of different, you know, quote unquote cores, like maybe every single ridge wooded ridge would be a potential core, you know, for a buck. And, and, uh, so I don't look at it from the standpoint of saying, well, you know, I have to have a camera for every 20 acres, you know, whatever the, you know, some magic formula, it has more to do with just the way that the land lays and the way that I feel like the deer use it. Then I try to figure out, okay, is he in this area, which is a potential core? You know, is he over here, you know, which is a different potential core? Because there, there are certain places they won't live, you mm-hmm. know. So 
why bother even messing with it? And there's certain places where you know that they spend a lot of time, you know, they, they, they bed on ridges and, you know, there's certain, you can identify areas pretty quickly where, you know, a deer can possibly have moved to. And then I just fringe those areas. I mean, I like, I like being able to uh, get in and out, even if the deer know that I'm there without impacting. So that means I've got to stick with fringes, you know, where I could drive a tractor or I can drive a truck you know, right up to the edge, step out, you know, check my card, change, you know, whatever, and then move on. And the deer go, eh, it's just, you know, it's just Bill out checking his food plots. You know mm-hmm. I mean? They, they aren't offended by me doing that. Um, so those are the, the locations that I pick. And uh, I have, you know, probably 25, 30 camera locations, you know, on that farm that I used pretty consistently. And I felt like, you know, if I hit all of those, I could tell almost, you know, every single deer that was on the place, uh, mm-hmm. because they're going to emerge somewhere. And when they emerge, you know, I've got a camera and a little pile of corn there to grab their attention and get a picture of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the key to that, and this is, we're getting sidelined, but really quick, the, uh, you know, some people will run in states where it's legal, they'll run bait in front of the camera, but they'll use so much of it that they change the behavior of the deer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, so so then they're like, oh, I didn't see anything there for four or five, six days, and all of a sudden he was there every day. Well, that's because he's there eating your corn. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, he you know he doesn't live there. Uh, so you got to be careful when you're doing it that way. You got to keep everything kind of quick and small. Um, you know, don't put out a bunch of stuff and don't leave it for a long time because if you do, yeah, you're going to get pictures of them. But you know, when the season comes and, and you're not actually hunting over corn piles anymore, um, he's not going to still be there. So. You, you've got to move fairly quickly and, and uh, keep your footprint, you know, a little bit small. And, uh, and and I just use the corn as just simply a way to concentrate the deer in front of the camera for a picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, mock scrapes, you know, would be another option for that too. But you've got to do something in order to make it so that you're not just waiting for a deer to randomly walk past your camera. Yeah. You know, we live in a bait state, so our, our world's a little bit different, you yeah. know, and every 20 acres has a feeder on it. So, you know, these deer yeah. are yeah. ridiculous. But um, you mentioned a mock scrape there. Is that a, I'm assuming that a deer won't shift his core just to go check a mock scrape. So if you are no. trying to circumvent that problem, is the mock scrape thing a good tactic for that? Yeah, I think it's better than bait from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. You just don't get the you don't get the inventory as quickly because they aren't. <clears throat> I mean, they want that corn. I mean, you pour yeah. that pile of corn out even on the edge of a standing cornfield, they're going to go to that pile of Gold corn. Nuggets, it's just so much man. easier for them. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to get whatever's nearby, say within a couple hundred yards, within a couple of days, you're going to have pictures of them on a camera that's sitting over a corn pile. Mm-hmm. But if you put a camera over a scrape, I mean, it's not nearly as attractive. That deer has to walk past there. You know, he's not going to smell it and come, you know, it, people think that there's something magic about it, but I mean, there's a lot of regular scrapes, you know, that, that mock scrape is just, you know, another scrape to them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might have to wait a little bit longer in order to get a picture, you know, of, of everything in that area. Uh, the only thing, you know, you don't get raccoons and you don't get, you know, mm-hmm. squirrels and stuff stealing your corn, but you also don't get the pictures, you know, quite as quickly as you would if you were concentrating those deer with, with bait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so you have given props to Mark Drury a few times on the show so far. Um, is, you know, Mark seems to think, from what I understand, and we've had him on and talked about this before, but that an annual pattern would be, a lot of times, you know, and you you said that dif- different deer have different characteristics, and I think most people would agree, but that a lot of times that a deer will 
have such a close annual pattern that if you saw him show up on your property on November 1st last year, that you should probably be sitting in a stand on Halloween or in for the next couple of days. I mean, you know, it's almost like within 24 hours, um, I've heard him say before. So have you noticed that or is there a little more play in that or what do you see there? Uh, I'm trying to think back if I could draw that conclusion or not. I know that, that, uh, their, their fall ranges tend to be the same every year unless they move their core. You know, like we talked about some deer just literally move a quarter of a mile, you know, and then, then everything else changes too. But, um, you know, like let's say the deer is gone all summer and you never see him all summer. And then you think, well, the deer doesn't live here anymore, but then he pops in there in October. Well, you know, it's, you are now in his fall range. They have a summer range and a fall range mm-hmm. and some deer, they overlap. Some deer barely move from summer to fall, but others will move you know, a mile and a half. Um, and there was some studies done on this, that the average range shift is about a half a mile between summer and fall on average, you know? So let's say you think, well, he shows up here at this time every year. Well, that's because that's when his fall range, you know, when he starts settling fully into his fall range, I don't know, you know, that, that I don't, I don't think that's, I don't know. I, I hate to disagree with Mark. Cause like I said, he knows a lot, but there's too many random behavioral influencers like, you know, a, a doe comes into estrus one year and, and, you know, the buck is there on the first of November because there's a hot doe there. And then he's not going to be there the next year on the first of November because that hot doe may not be there. So <laughs> right. I, I feel like, you know, I feel like his fall range is the same. If you found him in this general area last fall, he's going to be in that same, probably that same general area this fall. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like that's, that's predictable, but, um, you know, to predict it down to the day, I don't, I don't know that I could draw that conclusion. I'd have to think about my experiences more to see if that makes sense. But just off the top of my head, I, I don't think I could, mm-hmm. um, but, but I could draw a circle and say, he's probably going to be in this circle, uh, every year during that time. Yeah. Did that depend on like a cold front or something like that maybe, or. Yeah, it could be, it could be the fact that he was just more active, you know, with, within his fall range, you know, at certain times, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like there are definitely some prime days, you know, so the seventh, you know, you you might say, (laughs) yeah, don't you love November 7th? Yeah, Yeah, I really do. And then the other thing I'm really starting to gain more uh, appreciation for is that, that last cold front in October, um, you know, wherever that falls, whether it's the 23rd or the 28th or whatever it might be, that really kicks them into gear too. Uh, mm-hmm. That you don't want to miss that one. That's a really prime time. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I actually shot a deer on the seventh, a buck last year on the seventh. So um, yeah, <laughs> it's not a bad day, man. Yeah. And, and and my buddy here yeah, too. <laughs> our best buddy in Kansas, he smoked a deer on the seventh too. They shot deer the same yeah. day. <laughs> it, it tends to be, you know, I think it's just the the way that the photo period runs. You know, with the amount of daylight, and then you have a certain number of does that are in estrus during that time. It's not so many that every buck is tied up, but it's enough to get them all excited. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's sort of the 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 top of the ramp and then maybe it stays level you know for for a few days and then you get into that lull of the rut you know as you get into the middle of november then the you know you start falling off the back side of the ramp yeah um, yeah but uh, um i have a question for you that's kind of specific <laughs> here if if you um s- have a deer that you know is on say you've got a couple trail cameras out on a few hundred acres um and a deer shows up say three or four times uh throughout 
you know, a couple of months there from about November and through November, and December, uh, he's there three or four times. Do you consider that you're close to his home range or how do you feel about your chances killing that deer the next year? <clears throat> I think that you are on the fringe somewhere. Um, you're on the fringe of his range. I mean, it, my experience is if you find, I, I always try to find their core with the camera and, you know, I'll find the deer at like 1030 at night or something. It's like just about every day. Well, you think, ah, oh, this must be where he lives. It's not where he lives. Cause if you were where he lives, you'd be finding him at 620 or whatever. You know, I mean, you'd be, you'd be catching him right after he gets out of his bed. Um, you're on the fringe, even if you're, you're catching him quite regularly, you're on the fringe of his core. You might be well within his range. You know, the range is the bigger circle that he travels, but the core is basically where he lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always try to find that core because that's where he's most likely to be daylight active. The closer you are to where he beds, the, the closer you are to finding him during the day. Uh, so I keep moving cameras even after I've found a buck until I start finding him in daylight. Uh, because you just haven't found him yet, mm-hmm. even though you're getting nighttime pictures of him. So it's the same thing there. I mean, if you're getting really sporadic pictures, and especially if they're not during the day, even if they are during the day, uh, if you're close to where he, where he lives, you're going to be getting almost daily pictures of him. Uh, they're, uh, I shouldn't say that. That's probably not fair. You would if you were on bait. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, then uh, then he's just going to swing past her when he gets up, you know, and and in the evening and grab a quick bite of your corn and then move on. Uh, you can tell that you're close to his core when you start getting a lot of daylight pictures. Um, and, and, uh, I just keep moving until I find that, you know, and that's, I think that's one thing that's a little bit different maybe about what I do than what most people do is they just find the deer and they're like, Oh, this is where he lives. Well, that's not, uh, necessarily. And, and, uh, so you can look at those pictures, like the first picture you get in the evening, let's say it's 10 o'clock, he shows up on the camera. Where's the first, you know, that first picture, what direction is he coming from? That's where I'm going to move my camera. So I'm going to keep backtracking him off that first picture every evening until I'm getting into his core. Yeah. Uh, so you can, you can, uh, sometimes it's off your property and you don't have any options there, you know, but if you do have the chance to follow that deer backwards, uh, you can usually find where he's living. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I really appreciate, you know, the way you put your production together with Midwest Whitetail is, is you really kind of let us into your mind and, and how you, uh, you know, uh, I guess thought process this, these hunts and it's, it's really helpful. But then, uh, Sometimes you just kind of have places you like to go hunt. And one of those that's a great example is like Death Ridge, which um, mm-hmm. you, I guess, is uh, <laughs> been put to death, uh, for, <laughs> per se. <laughs> so my, yeah. my, uh, let me take a little side note here. Uh, you got to have a DR2 on your new place. I, I know you probably already have that in uh, working, you know, but Death Ridge 2 has got to be out there. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the, so, the places that I'm going to be hunting are only ridges. That's the interesting <laughs> thing. I mean, that country yeah. is like every single ridge is going to be death ridge. That's right. Death ridge <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, six. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Is that a situation where um, it just lines up to where there's a lot of bucks who are able to have a core area in a close proximity to one another? I don't know. Uh, uh, you know, there are there is still like the mystery of, of this stuff that mm-hmm. you don't quite know why certain things work. And, and, uh, that spot never really made sense to me as far as why it was so good. I just started hunting it just kind of on a, on a lark 
didn't really have a lot of thought went into it. And then it's like, dang, there's a, there's a lot of big deer going through here. Uh, it's a little secondary ridge off of a, of a larger ridge and the larger ridge is open. You know, it's a crop area, you know, where there's plenty of food then within that larger ridge. And I think they just crisscrossed through those secondary ridges, you know, looking for bedded does. Uh, that's all I can figure out. And why there just happened to be multiple big shooters there over the years might just be pure luck. Mm-hmm. You know, it might just be one of those things where, you know, it just was about a three or four year stretch there where there was just, you know, some really big mature deer living in that area. It might not be naturally attractive for any reason other than the fact that it was just pure luck for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one, the next, the best thing about that, and the reason I like it so well is because the bulletproof entry and exit, um, you know, so you can get into that thing in the morning <clears throat> without really bumping any deer and <clears throat> excuse me, you have enough spots like that and you're eventually going to be successful. Mm-hmm. Yes. So do you feel as if, um, say you've got a buck's core area figured out, are you better off hunting the fringe of the core area with just killer access as opposed to, uh, maybe bombing into where you know he's going to be, but it being a little bit sketchy with getting in there. Yeah, for sure. I think so. I think the you're better off putting in your time if you've got time. You know, everybody's situation is a little bit different. Like, you know, for example, if it's public area, um, you probably have to be more aggressive in going to that core, mm-hmm. you know, quicker than maybe what I might on my farm. Uh, and also, let's say you only hunt weekends and you've got like three or four days off during the rut, for example, you probably are going to be a little bit more aggressive in that situation than I might be too. I mean, I might sit the whole season on the fringe, just waiting until he comes out, knowing that I haven't damaged anything, not taking any risk. But, you know, at the same time, you know, I I was able to invest maybe 40 days, you know, Mm -hmm. whereas, you know, your situation should dictate a little bit uh, how aggressively you hunt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, that would be my advice there is, is don't get caught up too much in somebody else's way of doing it because that might not make sense for your situation. Yeah, man, that's good advice. That's, that's something a lot of people, uh, that have been around as long as you have and been in front of as many people won't admit to, you know, a lot of guys would, uh, that do what you do would say, what my way is, my way is the way that works, you know, and do it that way. I've, <laughs> I've heard them say yeah. that and it, it's frustrating that it uh, works. It works on my farm. And that's exactly. the other thing, too, is people don't get, they don't realize. And this is, Don Kiske told me this one time. And again, I have a lot of respect for Don, uh, you know, just as I do for Mark, too. But um, Don said, I said, Don, you got to be one of the best hunters in the country with what you're killing. He goes, he said, I'm the, I'm the best hunter on this farm. <laughs> yeah. He said, I, he said, I really know how to hunt this farm. He yeah. Said, I don't know. He said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe he didn't, maybe he didn't say it exactly like that. I better be careful how I quote him. But yeah. the point was that, that he's really good at hunting his farm. Yeah. Um, and, and, and he, he didn't step out so far as to say that, you know, I could have the same level of success anywhere that mm-hmm. I go. Um, you know, so I think that's the key to it too. You, you know, I've got really, I got really, really good at hunting my farm. Uh, and, and almost to the point where I wouldn't say it took the challenge out of it, but if let's say I got pictures of a certain buck in a certain area, I knew where I could kill that deer. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have to really put, you know, pencil to paper anymore. I'd hunted it for 18 years. You know, I knew that if I'm just patient enough and I put my time and he's eventually going to come through this funnel, you know, I've got the access that works for me. The wind advantage will be mine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just a matter of not screwing it up uh, yeah. at that point. So that's, uh, 
I think there's, there's, it's nice to have fresh places to hunt occasionally so that you don't get into that rut, you know, where you almost get, you know, too comfortable hunting one piece of property. Yeah. Uh, that's about to change uh, for you. You know, you're, <laughs> you're definitely yeah. taking on something new this year. Is that, uh, What's the plan this year? Do you have any goals or, you know, does this change the way Midwest Whitetail will be producing content and that kind of thing? Yeah, it will for sure, because I won't have access to, to the property out my back door. Mm-hmm. You know, I hunted on a typical year for the past uh, 13 years of producing Midwest Whitetail. I think I averaged about 40 to 45 days a year. Uh, and, and they weren't all morning and evening, but uh, some of them, a lot of them were. So let's say I averaged maybe... 70 sits uh, in, a, in a season. I mean, there's, I'm not going to be anywhere near that. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what my number is going to be this year, but you know, it's not going to be 70 sits, you know, cause I don't have access to the places and they're not out my back door now. And, and uh, you know, it's just the real world, I guess I'll be, I'll be hunting less. And uh, the other guys on the show will have to carry, have to carry the content a little bit more. Moan Drake. Um, <laughs> get it done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, I think that's right. Drake is going to get a, a lot more uh, time in front of the camera, and we'll mm. find people to replace you know my content. Um, and it's it's a natural progression. It has to happen. You know, I've told our sponsors, you know, I can't do this forever. You know, mm. I mean, it's you know, it's just not realistic. So you know, I start. I need to start phasing out anyway and let these younger guys oh, step I disagree, and, Bill. I disagree. Uh, yeah. You can be everyone on the I'll stands figure. in arm wrestling. I know, Bill. I know. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, but they're, they're all really good hunters. They're good sure. hunters too. Sure, so it's yeah. not like, uh, they don't, they don't need me anymore. I'm the, I'm the guy on the rocking chair on the porch. Uh, <laughs> I man. might be the guy with the fly rod in his hand on October there 20th. You there you, you know, go. <laughs> yeah, there's, but put it this way. Here, here's another thing that people don't realize is that I used to hunt, gosh, I hunted everywhere. I mean, I used to hunt Newfoundland. I used to hunt Mexico, Canada, all over Canada. I think I hunted like, I think I hunted whitetail in maybe 20 different States in like four or five Canadian provinces mm. before I started Midwest whitetail. After mm. that one, you know, yeah. I only hunted Iowa, only hunted our farm because I had to be there in order to produce the content. And it, it wasn't a, a you know, a, a bad decision because the kids were young and it was awesome. I mean, I was at home doing everything that I wanted to do and I wasn't all over the place. You know, I could be there for all their events. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, I, I didn't get out like I used to. Um, you know, I got into this business because of a thirst for adventure. You know, it's, I'm not saying I don't love whitetail hunting, but I don't want to be so one dimensional so one dimensional that I, I never go mule deer hunting or elk hunting or, mm-hmm. you know, I'm still young enough that I could even maybe pull off a sheep hunt once in my life. There you go. Um, you I know, will. so I want to, I want to get back to the, the traveling more adventure aspect of it before it's too late. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I still love whitetail and I'll still do plenty of it. Uh, and, and it's just a matter of, you know, I, I got so one dimensional and I never got burned out on it. People think, oh, you must've got sick of it. I never did. Uh, but it's time for me to, to, you know, fringe back out and stretch my wings a little bit again. So, uh, uh Gunnison, Black Canyon, 21, 2021 with us, you going? Yeah, I would, I would do it. You know, and, and <laughs> actually I fished there. Uh, yeah, because you guys caught it right. We went, you know, shortly after you guys went and, and it really wasn't very good. The mm, river yeah. was up and we went down that SOP draw and, and, yep. 
you know, got all beat up and skinned up and our kids, you know, were, you know, Drew and, Drew and Jordan went with me and they, it was a great adventure, mm-hmm. but the fishing wasn't very good. Um, but I came back again, we had to be out there for a wedding sometime in mid September. Then I floated the lower part of the, of the Gunnison and did really, really well. Mm. Um, yeah, that was, that was really good, but That's it was cool. just a question of timing. I mean, the Canyon wasn't good when we were, when we were there, but it was a great adventure. Yeah, oh yeah. Sure is. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So I got to ask you, since you, you mentioned all the adventure you've done so far, is Iowa the best place in the world to hunt whitetail deer? Well, I mean, I think it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I don't know about the world. Here's the question. Like somebody said, where's the best place? I said, okay, if my life depended on killing a Boone and Crockett buck, like my life depended on it, uh, I would be someplace probably maybe in Canada, maybe Alberta, uh, maybe Saskatchewan. And, and I'd be flying, you know, I'd be flying an airplane and I'd be finding those deer. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, because you got more crown land, you got more access to more ground, mm-hmm. you know, so if you're really serious about like, where would you kill that deer? Or where would you find that deer? If your life depended on it, it probably wouldn't be Iowa mm-hmm. uh, because it's so restricted on, on, uh, you know, the access to land. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just, it's just hard to get in. You know, it's hard to find that perfect place because you just don't, you know, you can't knock on that many doors anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if I was just going to say, okay, I got to kill a Pope and young buck to save my life, it'd probably be Texas. Um, you know, so I, I think you could probably, there's so many of them down there that 127, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, it's, it's like every ranch and you can pour out a pile of corn and, and every <laughs> ranch has got, you know, six or seven of them that are going to make 125. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I feel like your odds are better in Texas of, of killing a Pope and young buck than almost anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but as far as like the overall experience, um, I like Iowa. I mean, Kansas is really good too. I've hunted there a fair amount. I just like the Midwest because, you know, I'm, I'm a Midwestern kid. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's places in Montana, you know, places in Wyoming, there's places where little pockets here and there that are better than anything I've ever hunted. Mm-hmm. Um, but across the boards, on average, I know so many people in Iowa that, that kill big deer, you know, mm-hmm. just kids, you know, like 17 year old kids got, you know, four bucks over 160 already, yeah. you know, or whatever, you know, it's, so it, it's, it's really good. Um, and, and I don't think it's going to get worse. I think it's going to continue to get better. Uh, it's gotten better in my lifetime. Uh, and, and I think it will continue to get better. And, uh, so, I mean, there's, there's a lot of good areas, but uh, it's really hard to beat you know, the, this part of the country for yeah. sure. Man, it was fun being up there last year. You know, we got to, we got, I got, I had a tag last year for unit five. It was pretty fun. I can, I can definitely attest to that. Um, when will, or what's the best place for people to find chase in November, which is literally my favorite series, uh, on YouTube and, uh, keep up with you this year and what you got going on. Well, the chasing November, the first 12 episodes did release onto the real tree 365 app. So if you pull, you know, you go into any app store and you get Realtree 365, um, the Chasing November first 12 have already released there. And then the, the full 24 series will release, I believe, Monday mm. on uh, on uh, our YouTube channel and the MidwestWhiteTail.com website. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, Josh Sparks is the one that's producing that. And we're literally, I mean, I, I sent him the voiceovers for 22 and 23, yesterday evening and uh you know so it's a uh, it's an ongoing it's it's a lot of work people don't realize how much time josh puts into that mm-hmm. um it's it's a really time-consuming series to produce and and uh you know because most television series are like 13 episodes and they repeat them 
well, some guys will spend months and months to produce 13 episodes. Well, he's producing 24 originals and, uh, you know, he has to do it, you know, after the hunting season ends because we don't have the storylines, you know, to, to start with until then. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a it's a big project. So we still haven't done the voiceover for twenty four yet. <laughs> so oh. I got to get <laughs> I got to get with Josh. So you know, we got a couple more days. You know, he he'll edit it and then he'll send me, you know, kind of the raw parts. You know, like you know, how do we tie this story to this story? How do we keep you know connect the various parts of this episode? So then I'll sit down and. I'll create the voiceovers to connect all the pieces. And then that's, you know, that's how these, these things are put together. Mm-hmm. I know so, you want to be anyway, the rocking chair short, guy, uh, but your narrations yeah. are top, top notch. Yeah. Please never stop being <laughs> the narrator. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard. It's way harder than people think. It yeah. is, people man. think you're just sitting there talking and it's like, cause I have to do each one. I'm sure Josh gets like so sick of it, you know, <laughs> listening to my, cause I'll, I'll do each line like six times, you know, trying the different inflections, you know, trying to figure out, okay, how do I put the correct feeling into this? And I'll listen to it later when he drops it in there. I'm like, Oh gosh, that sounds bad. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to do voiceover. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I can appreciate that art where I never would have been able to, if we hadn't done this project, um, mm-hmm. just because you don't know which words to hit, you know, it's like you try it a certain way and then you try it another way and then you try it another way. And, you know, then the one he ends up using is, you know, probably the best one that he thought was there. And you listen to it and you think, gosh, I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, Cause it's not like, it's not like we're just talking, you know, it's easier when you're just talking, but when you're sitting there and you've written up a script and now you're reading the script into a voice recorder, um, it's not the same, you know, you, you don't naturally, you don't naturally hit the right words. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree, man. I've done it before. It's, it's uh, difficult, but anyway, I, Bill, I, I can't tell you how much, uh, we enjoy talking to you, man. It's just always a good conversation. And, and there's also just so much to be learned, man. You've, you've had some great experiences with a, a ton of deer and some big deer over the years. And so it's just, it's hard to beat Bill Winky for, you know, good information on how to, get in close to big bucks. You know, I think <clears throat> you said that, that, uh, you're the best, you know, probably the best hunter on your, your old farm and, uh, or yep. you may not have said that, but that's <laughs> kind of what, what I inferred from it. So, uh, but I think that you're, you probably have a lot of experience that can relate to a lot of people and I appreciate you doing this bill. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And, and uh, no, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, and, uh, thank you guys, you know, for including me. Sure. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good fall. Awesome. You too. Good luck. Good stuff right there from Bill. Um, you know, he always has just a cool angle on things and that, you know, that's a big thing for me, even as a public land hunter to see, you have to be creative sometimes. And, you know, one way that, uh, we have been able to kind of hopefully help some people is showing some of our creative strategies and what we look for with the hot public land hotspots. Uh, that's a hard thing to say. Hot public land hotspots. <laughs> they're hot. That's what we just. I mean, they're so extra hot. hot in there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're we're in Texas in the summer eating jalapenos. You know what I mean? So it's hot. But um, anyway, that uh, there's a hotspot video um, that's releasing um, on Thursday this week, and we've already released two. And so these are one. Of, the one we're releasing this week is called Staging Dead Spots, and. KC um, is going to make me explain this. Um, but anyway, so the idea is this, um, that basically you've got a, um, a destination food source, right? And then you've got like brush that'll hold deer. And these two spots are far enough away that there can't be any bedding in between the, 
like there's there essentially in between the what would you assume is would be bedding is basically grazed cattle stuff. So it can't be that there's brush there because mm-hmm. if there's brush right beside the field, it's likely that there are does bedding right next to the ag field, especially the later in the season you get. And so it, that considered, you know, that there's no pressure maybe or not much pressure. So um, anyway, like creating this big dead spot allows um, there to be a, like, for instance, if the deer are bedding super close, they cannot, or they, they can essentially get to that food source after dark and not have to stand up until it's too dark to shoot. So if you have this big dead spot cattle pasture in between where they have to bed and where they are going to eat, then you've got um, deer that have to get up on their feet or in theory have to get up on their feet earlier to get to go a half mile or whatever it might be to get to that spot. So you're able to assume essentially using this spot that deer are going to be on their feet in the daylight. And that's the, that's the key theory. So um, I don't know if I do a very good job of explaining that in the video. So just take that, <laughs> go watch the video and now you'll understand it better. You know? Perfect. So, uh, but anyway, it's something to look for. So if you trust us, you know, look for a staging dead spot, even if you don't understand it. Um, <laughs> So the, <laughs> I do explain what that kind of looks like. I just don't, maybe don't explain that the reason. It helps with the map integration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, but, you know, explaining the fact that you're looking for deer with that are on their feet in daylight is kind of the main theory there. So anyway, go check that out. Uh, the Map Scout Challenge from this week was Lake Whitney here in Texas. Oh, yeah. Which is a few hours away. KC thought that was a really cool place. Uh, that was the first Map Scout challenge we did, so it's very long. Yeah, um, and it's also, uh, uh, you can tell we're kind of figuring out how the Map Scout challenge goes <laughs> yeah. in this video, but I think that's kind of a fun process to see, too, you know, yeah. after uh, going all over the country doing it, you know, kind of looking back at our home state one that we started out with. Yeah. yeah. People seem to like it. I mean, our friend Micah was like, man, this is some good, helpful stuff. Yeah, so, there's been a yeah. lot of the, <clears throat> you know what's interesting? Is we did the first video we released was Kentucky, mm-hmm. and people were like, "Oh, you gave away a good all the secret spots." <laughs> yeah, I know. You know, and ever since then, like guys be like, "I hunt right there." This is awesome video, guys. You know, <laughs> know. it's like I don't know what you Kentucky boys are drinking in that water over there, but uh, just be nice. Uh, no, most of y'all are nice. Just a couple guys were just like, "I can't believe you gave away that spot." It's like, well, we just. It's on the map. I so. kind of wonder if there wasn't like a single person creating a bunch of accounts to troll. You know, I know what I mean? Yeah. It was it was weird because we haven't had any of that happen since. No, but somebody since. in Kentucky got mad and was like, <laughs> just kept saying, I'm on a hunt right there, you know, yeah. or whatever. It's like, well, so does everybody else, I think. So, <laughs> you know, sorry you didn't have that to yourself before, but you don't have it to yourself now either. So, yeah. I don't know. It probably ain't enough people watching it to affect them anyway. But, you know, these have been... I think helpful for some people and that's kind of our, our main goal man is uh, we've had a lot of people reach out and we've noticed a lot of people in some of these Facebook groups and stuff that are really just needing some help and some guidance that are mm-hmm. getting into hunting and stuff and COVID has really uh, turned people to that um, in one way it's it makes it hard on uh, on us to kill deer maybe uh, when you got a ton of pressure and People crawling over the place, which is probably what's going to happen in Colorado. Um, And Kentucky. And Kentucky, apparently. (laughs) But um, in another sense, you know, like we've got uh, bigger numbers. We're going to have bigger license sales, more more money coming into, um, you know, conservation and um, just keeping lands public and all these other things that we would value. And maybe even buying new properties to have more, you know, spots for hunters and so and we just have a better political influence if we have more hunters right so 
uh, there's good and bad. And I think the good outweighs the bad. And so we just kind of have to deal with some people this year. And who knows what happens next year. There may not be as many people in the woods. Yeah. But Hey, instead of know. dealing with them, help them. You know, yeah. and that's what you and I have both been trying to do on Facebook some, you mm-hmm. know. So yeah. uh, if you're new to this stuff, guys, reach out to us. You know, we'll, we'll help you whatever way we can. Um, and that's kind of why we did the Map Scout Challenge stuff too, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, not just for guys who are trying to find that extra edge, but also guys who are just trying to figure out how to go where to go yeah i mean honestly you know our ideas were that we were going to go try to find deer in spots and if we or deer sign and if we find deer deer sign in a spot then that could be a good spot to hunt and you know i don't know how many people you might meet there but if you if you're a new hunter that doesn't have a clue and you want to go try it it ain't going to hurt our feelings i can tell you that here's like the uh uh catch 22 of these map scout challenge locations there's a chance that no one shows up and actually hunts the like the coordinate that we give away mm-hmm. because everyone's like, oh, everybody's going to go there. So what if you're that guy <laughs> who yeah. goes to southern Missouri and goes and hunts a 155-inch 10-point because you're the only person who actually goes? I know. It's scary, dude. It's scary to think about, dude. It is. And now 10,000 people are heading that way. I know, golly. <laughs> no. uh, anyway, so we uh, we hope that that stuff is good for you, man. And we we appreciate you listening. Uh, hope you found some good information from Bill. I know I certainly did. And the reason we had him on, as we do a lot of our guests, is kind of selfish. Uh, we're looking at you know targeting a few deer this year and how we can do that better. And, and uh, Bill is a good guy to have uh, on to help us do that because he has consistent success and proven resume in that that field so with that said guys uh remember to go check out all the links and remember this is your element living it I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs, and that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces, embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com.